Hello, and welcome to the King Heroes Journey podcast. My name is Beth Martins, and I'm super excited to be hosting Robert Michael today of the House of Marcus. And I've had a particular interest in Robert's work for a couple of years now, I think we're going on. I, I'm not sure I'd have to go back to some original dates. I have interviewed yeah. Robert in the past, and you were the one that I learned about the private domain from and how to navigate in a completely, you know, we'll say, quote unquote, new way in the private. And uh, before we get started and I introduce, to, uh, introduce you to people who might not know you, I just wanted to share a couple of things that are coming up so I don't forget. In, sure. um, in the private domain, in my house of free will, we have two houses in the house here. Maybe our houses will be related at some point. I was just starting to- Well, they're uh, neighbors. They're neighbors, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I want to talk about that at length. So there's a workshop coming up October 20th for members that is on how to read Canadian legislation because we have a lot of people fighting, you know, whether it's tickets or uh, $9,000 to get back into the country without a, an app and uh, all kinds of uh, nasty things that, that people are really trying hard in the public to fight in the courts. So we're going to have Rebecca Shepard and Jane Scarf come on from Stand for Thee to do a workshop. So you need to be a member, you need to apply, and you can visit freewillministry.live, I call it, uh, to find the application button. I also want to let you guys know that uh, my, inter my first interview, I'm going to say my first interview, who knows if there'll be more, and uh, we just have some background noise. I don't know if uh, you have the wolves over there on, on your side, <laughs> Robert, it sounds like. Yeah, right on. Okay, that's cool. They can stay. And uh, yeah, so my, my interview with Crow 777 goes live on Sunday, so you can watch out for that. Uh, I uh, just wanted to let you know also that I'm going to be hosting a Find Your Sacred, Sacred Purpose course coming up. And I just picked a date, November 18th, Friday, November 18th, to do the... Uh, the first part of the workshop. So keep an eye out for that. Stay tuned. And if you haven't already jumped on to my uh, website, freewillministry.live, it's also the same as bethmartins.com. It's pointing over to that same domain. And uh, you can fill out an archetype quiz to find where you are on the path of purpose to get started thinking about, okay, what the heck am I doing here? A lot of uh, urgency these days and not everybody knows how to channel and uh, act within that. So welcome everyone. Oh, I am going to start Rockfin. Let's see, there we go. So yeah, we got some people over on Rockfin and that is now live. I will grab a link for you if anyone prefers to jump over there. I could end up being uh, exclusively on Rockfin just from the looks of it. But mm -hmm. in the meantime, I'll just hang on by my fingernails here in the uh, in this domain. Welcome to Michelle Mullen is here and Mankinder. Thanks for inviting your friends. I appreciate that. And thanks for that. Linda's here. Excellent. Cheryl Williams. And Kareen Martin says it's uh, good, or it implies it's good timing. Mm -hmm. All right. Without further ado, if you're not familiar with Robert Michael, which I have to imagine you might be by now, but if there's anyone new to his work and even this channel, then I'll just say Robert Michael's begun his journey of purpose, speaking of purpose, in 2009, after the 2008 housing market tanked, uh, taking his father's business and parents home with it. It's often how the journey starts, right? You've got either something crazy happens to you, or it happens to someone you're really close to, and you can't avoid the pain of it anymore and must take action. So for the past 12 years, Robert Michael has worked with hundreds of people across a wide variety of legal issues by exposing the root cause of all legal issues, which is right up my alley, which begins at birth through the voluntary human economic slave system. 
with all the wild legal theories out there today, Robert has gained knowledge and wisdom from hands-on experience, years of research and application. He has a simple way of grounding out the truth by differentiating it from the multitudes of legal myths floating around. Unbelievable, boy, have we been in the rabbit holes this last couple of years. And, uh, and so his approach is packed with power predicated on peace, honor, dignity, and respect in all aspects of that illusion. He maintains we are here for the evolution of our souls. Amen to that and this planet together. The uh, evil and the righteous, we might have to flat smack you at some point. <laughs> right. So I'm, 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 I'm what's that? I said, yep, it happens. <laughs> it, ha it does happen. There you go. You're not a stranger to it. And uh, just finally, he, he, he works with clients and directs them to be proactive and secure their divine inheritance, thereby legally foreclosing any would-be state and federal intruders from making a claim and applying their millions of statutes, codes, rules, regulations, mandates, and so on. So um, I, I would actually love to start by talking about the divine inheritance because this is something that I think many people have been taken seriously sideways. Um, you know, the um, Christians in the mainstream that are, you know, I'll say mainstream, whatever that means, they, you know, indoctrinated, maybe, um, um, you know, reading or listening to people rather than actually reading for themselves what's going on. And they think that the inheritance is after you die. What would you say about that, Robert? Well, I definitely differ on that. Um, but before we even get started, I just want to warn everybody that, yes, I am sitting outside and there's a neighbor's dog. And that's what you heard earlier. And if he decides to start howling with the rest of the dogs, I just have to bear with it. So we're just going to go with it. Not Because I didn't even think of that when I sat outside. Um, and he's a, he's a good old boy over there. But, you know, sometimes he likes it to be heard. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot that that was in that bio right and and i i do want to say that bio is a little bit dated so there's some updating i'd like to do to it um and i do want to also preface my answer with saying look there is no straight and narrow one single answer um one size fits all answer to our legal problems answer to all of this stuff right to me the divine inheritance is actually the divine knowledge that comes through you and also all the gifts that come along with listening to it right so if we're talking about divine inheritance, what we believe is on earth, then it's the planet, right? We have the right to inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. To me, that's divine inheritance. So when I say I'm helping people secure their divine inheritance, we could be doing that through a myriad of different uh, applications, right? Like trust. Trusts are such a big deal. They're so powerful. Um, some countries don't even uh, acknowledge trust. So some of those countries are kind of out of luck. Um it's operation. How do you operate? So operation, trust, knowing contract. I mean, these are very important pieces to know, but ultimately your divine inheritance comes through your own knowledge and your willingness to learn and to change your lifestyle so that you're now applying these concepts in your everyday life rather than looking for somebody on the internet to hand you a piece of paper that's just going to go, oh, this is all taken care of. Now I can continue living the way I was always living. That's that's over, right? In case people haven't realized, that's over. Like you have to start living in a completely different way, you know? And that's what happened to me back in 2013 is I was forced forced by divinity and the, and the events in my life to start living 
a different way. And I started it like in my bio said back in 2009, but it really didn't hit me and force me to change little things, not even little, but big things in my life to start living this way until around 2013. So the divine inheritance, that's up to you. Are you going to accept it? Are you going to embrace it? Are you going to listen to the messages? Some people get messages through feeling. Some get them through audio, right? Um, visual, they get clairvoyance. Some some have uh, information. Like me, I'm claircognizant. So information just comes through. And I think that's really important for people to connect with uh, on this journey, especially in the law realm, long before you even start you know, trying to figure things out in the legal realm because the legal realm is just an illusion. So you're just trying to figure out how the, the illusion works in, in how it's been built by the constructors is really all we're doing in the legal system, right? Because when you die, none of it means anything, you know? And I, I love that meme, if you've seen it, the one with the galaxy and it's got a little a little arrow and it, and it points to this little speck of dust and it says, you are here paying taxes to pedophiles, right? And you look at the whole galaxy and it's like, wow, like think of that, right? That's exactly what's going on. Like this means nothing, you know? I mean, it does for our soul's journey, but when you look at it from that perspective, you're like, oh my gosh, this really is not that significant in the grand scheme. So mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah, no, it's an excellent point that people are hyper-focused on the paper and, and those oh, details yeah. and they want the magic paper. I know we've said this before, but there are no magic papers and you can have the identical paper as Robert Michael and you're going to get totally different results because of your soul's trajectory and you know, what your goals are and all of those kind of things. So yeah, I, lo I love that. That uh, And also to know that, or to emphasize what you're saying about divine inheritance, that it's not, it's not just going to fall on your lap, or at least this is how I feel. It's, you know, you take, you take an inch towards God and God runs at you. But if you don't take that inch towards God, God's going to take it as like, they, they don't want that there because it's free will, right? You must choose this. Right. And I mean, a lot of us know or have come across uh, information that teaches us about resonance and vibration. Um, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I was on another interview and the interviewer said, what is God to you? And I, I said, well, that's great. I think everybody should ask themselves that question. And God to me is the en is energy, right? That's why it doesn't need worshiping. It's it's an energy. When we, why would you worship an energy? It's when you're in resonance with it, it connects with you. And that's what the Bible is trying to tell you. But they, of course, made a story out of it to throw everybody off. So everybody would believe that, oh, well, you can't do that. Only this guy could do that. You can't do that, right? So to hide what's actually there as an ascension process for the most part. So to me, yes, if you're not in resonance, then you're not going to vibrate enough for things to be in harmony. Think of a guitar chord. If anybody listening or any music, really any chord in music, if you hit a, a note that's discordant, it, it wobbles. But when you hit one that's in harmony, it either blends or sounds exactly alike, right? So that's what we're trying to do here with all of this stuff is just get in resonance with what is it we truly want. And years ago, somebody said to me, if you didn't have to work anymore and you had all the money in the world, what would you do? 
I couldn't think of it. I was like, oh, I don't know. But, you know, my journey has brought me on. Oh, well, I would build things because I'm a builder and I would build centers to help people, to heal people and things like that. And it wasn't until I got really in alignment with that, that this whole thing started to take off. And we started building out uh, the processes to do that for ourselves. Right. When I say processes, I don't mean like, you know, legal processes. I mean, in a way we did. Yeah. But but we started building our own world. And saying, we, you know, we can have our own world. We don't need the outside world other than, you know, resources. Now we just have to figure out, well, how do we do business with that outside world and keep our privacy so we can get these resources and not be cut off, right? There's a maxim. He who accepts the benefit also ought to accept its disadvantage. And that's a lot of what's going on. We're all, we've all been brainwashed into accepting all of these benefits into the you know, a socialist type of structure. So if we accept the benefit, it's all under contract. Everything's under contract because these entities just simply operate in a commercial capacity for the most part, right? So we really have to learn contracting because there's an honor to contracting. And a lot of these courts are honoring the contract. and But people don't know what the contract is because they don't look at it as contract. Right. Where is it? And another guy and I, another member of uh, House of Marcus and myself were having a conversation the other day. And, and he's right. He's like, where, where is that debt to society? That's what they're saying. You have it. If I have a debt to society, show me where that contract is, period. And they can't do it because there isn't one, you know. So these are concepts that are like, you know, but mind blowing. But when you can wrap your head around and get in resonance, you start to change your life on how to function that way. And you start realizing there's nobody that has authority over me, but I'm not out there trying to take down someone and tell them I have the authority over them either. Right. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. leave me alone. We're good over here. You stay on your side. I'll stay on my side. But where is that line? That's what I think people are struggling with. Where is that line? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Have, <clears throat> Go ahead. Of course, we have these governments that are just, you know, uh, authoritarians. And yes, they're pushing and and they're just doing whatever they want. So it is important that we combine our resources and push back, whether it's in the public or in the private, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, back to divine inheritance in terms of the, the decoding process that is like when I was on what I thought was my death, but I was just writing about this a little bit last night. Um, I had a massive download when I surrendered to death. I stopped fighting. I let my, I let death have me and, and it, it made space for, you know, and it, it's, it's as if it downloaded from somewhere else, but it was really just me becoming aware of all of this code, all of this information and, and then I had to decode, right? I got all this code and then I had to spend the last 20 years of my life still working on the project, decoding and finding out what is, what is my divine inheritance? Not so I can stay safe and survive and protect myself and all, you know, all that self-protection that we're taught interacting more in the, in the public realm. We're all, we're always scrambling for everything that we lack and need and, and need to get. Whereas you know, this way, it's like, who am I? What What am I here to do? How do How do I fit into the fabric of humanity? How do I offer value in that way so that I can set up this natural giving and receiving? 
And uh, so that's that ends up being the majority of the work <clears throat> is on that psychological, spiritual level to to know yourself and to come. Like we, we're having a great conversation with Jacqueline Milne, who I'll get you to meet her sooner or later. And here's my cat. And, you know, just talking about the, the extent to which the, the the child archetype is so prevalent and how anybody that, say, has been and this is not to put anybody down, but anybody that has been in a job for all of these uh, that maybe their whole life they've had somebody telling them what to do and maybe worse they were in a cubicle with it where they were responsible for just a, a part of a process that they, they never did understand how it all worked together and how to get a real result that that company might have been getting so they come out of the workforce or they get kicked out of the workforce these days and and they are like children they haven't they haven't decoded they haven't found out what is in them to to decode and uh, and then and then being able to apply it in the private in a way that you know you're not asking permission for anybody you don't need to go get a license for that you just have to actually be real and have real value to offer yeah. Well, what does the Bible say? The meek shall inherit the earth. And, you know, I know the Bible's got a bad rap in Christianity and all that stuff. I, I don't get into uh, Christianity in terms of the way that it's been um, interpreted at all. Right. Because the people that interpret it, uh, interpreted it almost a thousand years after it was established by whomever this person was, right? This Christ thing. So I don't get into all that, but I look at the book and I go, man, this is a pretty darn good code book. I mean, they're kind of telling you everything right here and how this whole earth operates. And it really is uh, super important to me to connect with some of those um, principles in there for the ascension, like the meek shall inherit the earth. What does that mean? Well, to me, that means that those of us that have grown up having to use our own mind and struggle a lot of the time, not everybody, it doesn't mean everybody has to struggle or should have struggled. But I do notice, especially in this new uh, freedom celebrity arena, let's just call it that, because I see a lot of celebrities out there that have popped up on, you know, they're, they're social media celebrities and they're talking all about freedom and stuff, but very few of them do anything. They just keep talking. And uh, it's it's almost like a lot of those guys, you look at their background, if you get to know them, because I have, I'm like, well, you know, you, you pretty much had it made your whole life. You didn't struggle for much, did you? You know, where people like myself and, and others growing up poor or growing up with certain traumas and struggle are like, hey, wait a minute, you know, there's a realness about life. And because I've had to go through these particular events, I've always had to maintain being authentic, you know, like growing up as a kid in my neighborhood to me. Now I saw a lot of people being fake and I saw a lot of those fake people getting beat up all the time. Right. I'm talking about the, the boys mainly. Right. Same thing for me. Like I went through a period as a teenager and everything where I was trying to be somebody I wasn't trying to find myself. And a lot of times I'd shoot my mouth off, wind up getting my butt kicked because I went through a lot of physical fighting even though I didn't want to, I had to defend myself. But what I noticed was every time I was being fake, I pretty much got my butt kicked. <laughs> but if I was being authentic, I pretty much was able to keep everything at bay and not even eat, enter a fight, so to speak. Right. So I learned very quickly, like, yeah, man, you just got to be real. Stop talking crap. Stop making stuff up. But you don't need to you don't need to have people like you. You don't need to portray an image so that you fit in with somebody's view. 
every one of us is an individual and we are experiencing this reality through our individual lens so that the God source energy can experience it through us of all these millions of different facets, right? When I say millions of different facets, I'm talking about people, billions that the, the God source is looking through the lens of billions and experiencing this through us. So we don't need to fit in to somebody's click or, or anything, right? So this is all to me, part of the, the work that needs to be done before you can really understand the secular work, which is, you know, the stuff we talk about with the private and the law and how to protect yourself and all that, or, or you know, uh, how to navigate, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think a large portion of it is spiritual and it has to be in alignment first. And what we're seeing right now is people running to and from trying to get carnal knowledge, but yet they're still not centered in who they actually are in their spirit, their spiritual knowledge. It's kind of like cart before the horse, right? But they'll find out. They'll they'll run to and from and get all this information in this glorified paper until they realize, well, why is that not working, right? Because it's not the paper. It's you, you know. What are you in resonance with? What energy are you putting forth to do this rather than trying to have somebody do it for you? So it's very important. Beautiful. I love your point about being authentic with the bullies, because uh, what I've noticed is that if in, in my days when I was wishy-washy, really caring what people thought of me and, and always on the fence, afraid to show my true colors, then I was a target for bullies, actually, in the same way. But when I started to come out and be bold, what it does to the bullies is they get they have such a strong aversion, they don't even want to beat you up. They just right. don't want to, they don't want to be around. So it, it it polarizes people, and that's what that's what people are afraid of. That somebody important to you is not going to like you anymore. It can happen. It means mm-hmm. that, that you probably weren't really related to them. They were they were related to your facade. They were attached to your facade, and when you don't have that anymore, if they don't like you, then they're not your people. They're not. And you can't be afraid to let those people go, whether they're family members or f- lifetime friends. I mean, I've let go of a ton of friends and stuff that didn't do anything to me. They just weren't in resonance anymore. And it was like, all right, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm evolving and you're willing to stay back here. So I'm going forward. I, I can't sit around just because you don't believe in what I believe in and you think I've turned some corner and gone crazy sorry, we're not resonating anymore. So we have to be letting go is one of the hardest things to do. And it's one of the hardest things that I've had to do. And I see people struggle with it all the time. And so I try to notice immediately when I'm hanging on to something, you know, what is this belief system that I'm hanging on to? And I try to just let it go. And like you were saying earlier, when you gave yourself to death and you let go, that's when you were filled. So I've learned the same thing. Whenever I let go of something, no matter how minute or how large it is, I'm filled with something else. And it's usually beneficial. And really, it's pretty awesome. It's That's the gifts. That's the inheritance, right? I'm inheriting because I am letting go of this old worldly stuff so I can inherit what comes down the pipeline. And that might manifest in some physical thing. Sure. You know, um, the funny thing is, is I haven't lived so well. Um, and, and so enjoyable, I should say, not so well, but so enjoyable as I ever have since I woke up, since I let go, since I just lost it all and, and let it all go and say, well, I don't even care anymore. I could live in a shoebox and did. <laughs> and once I did, I was like, wow, this is much better. And after that, everything started to, to come, right? 
That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, when, and when we're ready for certain things, we, I, so the Bible calls it the divine appointed time of the father, right? Father being creator in, in my view. Um, so it, to me, when that there, we can't force anything, we can, we can get in resonance so that we can call it in. Right. But, but there is a divine time for certain events in our life to take place that we just can't speed up no matter what, in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm, I'm not that experienced at, uh, you know, create or manifesting, uh, I should say at, uh, or practicing manifestation. I'm a manifesting generator. So I manifest, you know, pretty regularly, but I do know that there's a way to practice it, to call things in. I don't particularly do that. Um, I know it's possible, but I do believe that there are certain events that are off limits to that. It only comes at a divine time and we're not in control of that. So we just got to let go and say, whenever you're ready, dump it on me, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. Preparing yourself for the eventuality that you want or, you know, the goal that you're trying for. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then timing is everything. When you, when you look at this life cycle of any plant and, uh, you know, if I pull my lettuce seeds off the plant and they haven't fully cured on the plant, in the sun, in the, in the right conditions, they're not going to grow. I got, I'm trying it right now. I'll see if I was uh, successful in my timing or not, because timing is everything. It's, it's the right thing, but if it's not the right time, it's, it's like, it's not the right thing. It's not so, the right thing. Right. And, and I, I, I fully resonate with that, or I fully agree with that, that it's, there's a certain amount of, you know, there's a co-creation going on, but you're not dictating the, the, right. Because we can't keep our eye on the big picture, it, like you said, the, the same the same God peering through uh, billions of eyes, we mm -hmm. we can't be as aware of that, or not the average person. And, and I fully agree that the the work is not to attempt to manifest. That's not what we're doing here. The right. manifestation is a side effect. It is a beautiful side effect, and it starts to prove to you that you are truly accessing freedom, not just talking about freedom and calling freedom in a megaphone and, and using that as the buzzword, but, but, but you're going through the doors. You're letting go, right? This is, yeah. this is my big subject, the whole thing, right? That yeah. you can do all of your work at that level of letting go, and then you open yourself to, oh, look, it's perfect timing for this. I could have never seen that if I didn't let go. Of, That's of right. whatever it was. Yeah. And a lot of times, like you don't expect the result to be as amazing as it is. Sometimes you think the result of whatever you're trying to achieve, like I'll give you an example. Um, there's been quite a few times in my life where I was in need of a place to rent and I would see this place and I go, all right, well, this this is going to, this is going to work. This is going to work. Let me put an application in the application didn't go through or I got denied. And I, you know, and I had a choice. I could have been like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? I need this place. I'm running out of time, but I'm like, whatever. Right. When, when I learned to just go, well, whatever, I'm sure something else better is coming or something's coming. And sure enough, it's better. It's better because, but if I would have fought for that and struggled and, you know, oh man, what am I going to do? And oh, I need the perfect place and it has to have this and that and the other, then I probably would have created some sort of block and it wouldn't come in that way. Right. So yeah, it really is intention, um, visualization. Yes, those are great parts, but what about the work, 
right? What is the work that has to be put in to also bring forth these things? To me, if I'm not in resonance with the work that I'm doing and, and what, and that work isn't in resonance with what I want to create, then it's not going to manifest so easy, right? And this is why I tell people that doing paper in the legal sense doesn't work. You have to actually, you know, get your hands dirty. You might not have to get your hands dirty to the point that I have over all these years or other people, but you have to show yourself and your higher self and, you know, creation that you're willing to learn, to put in, you know, to put action behind the visualization, in other words. So, yeah. and that's all, that's all I do constantly. And I just go, okay, whatever you have for me today. And it's been a beautiful existence because I don't have to follow anybody's rules. I don't have to show up at a desk. I don't have to clock in, clock out, have insure, you know, insurance and taxes and all. I don't have to have any of that because I'm, I'm the boss of me. Right. <laughs> Remember right. when we were kids, you're not the boss of me. Right? That's not, <laughs> you're not the boss me. Don't tell me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But when you add the work and the, the self-responsibility into the mix, then you yeah. truly do do get to say how things go uh, to a great extent that we have not even tapped an ounce of our, our power. In that not way. yet. Yeah. We're getting there. You know, we're starting we to are. get there. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a pioneer. I, really I mean, I know there's a, a large mass of people still struggling, but they'll come along too. you know, again, the meek shall inherit the earth. That doesn't say the meek is weak. Actually, it's the opposite. The meek are the stronger ones. That's why they inherit because they've been able to endure all of these different things that they've had to go through so that they could learn the responsibility to inherit the earth because inheritance is not going to come without responsibility. And I do truly believe that, you know, our inheritance on earth and the wealth that has been, if I would, would say, stolen from us. Um, I kind of don't like to say that anymore because I don't believe it's been stolen. I believe it's been held in abeyance until we realize how we how to become mature enough and responsible enough to handle that type of thing. Because it's it's funny what I see in the in the freedom community, speaking of paper, is that. People will regurgitate this legal or theory, right, stuff, this law theory stuff. And then someone will get a small success with something, be it a debt discharge or something. They'll get a piece of paper and then they'll turn around and now all of a sudden they're selling it, right? Come to me, follow me. So I'll sell this to you. And, and so it becomes, again, like you're doing it and you're, you're out there selling it. It's not your original work and it's only a small piece. It's not the solution. Right. So what we have is uh, people selling this stuff as a solution, but it's it's not, you know, you, you have to do the work. You have to do the work, you know. So it's tough out there right now. It is because there's so much misinformation. Oh, my goodness. It's incredible. But that's why I love studying this stuff. See, my my passion and I know this can't be everybody. Right. Because not everybody's built the same and, and rightfully so. But my passion became just in the research itself. I love digging through law books and, you know, history and and putting the puzzle pieces together. And go, oh, this isn't this interesting. Well, if you know, if A and B are here, that must equal C over here type of thing. So that really intrigues me. And I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Not everybody's built that way. Right. So 
in that sense, I feel like we do need to create communities that can help people who aren't built that way still have some level of putting their hands into the work and getting a result, even though it's not to that extent, right? Mm -hmm. To the extent mm -hmm. I would do it or you would do it or the next person. So I think yeah. that's important. And that's what we're doing is building community. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. And, uh, and the baby steps of, I remember working with my first business coach, for example, when I was just embarking, going from being a, a teacher to, to having a more grown up kind of a service. And, uh, so the, um, shoot, what was I going to say about this? Um, ah, crap, it'll come back to me. Sorry. I totally, uh, preempted my own thing, but let's, let's dive in that, that aside, aside, Sure. Could, you, could you talk about, I know this is uh, stuff you've said before and you've said many times, but can you talk about the basic principles of operating in the private that you'd like people to be aware of and, and uh, to be able to navigate in it and, uh, you know, with, have that foundation? Sure. So again, um, you know, none of what I'm about to say is, is a solution or is it, or I should say across the board in every single situation. But as general rules, I try to remain as private as possible. In other words, I don't usually give out my address. I use uh, a, a mailbox store. That doesn't mean I can't be legally served. Of course I can, but I don't want people knowing where my private space is. I use private trusts that are unregistered. Um, there's no law that says I have to register my trust. So understanding what is voluntary and what is mandatory, where people get caught up is they believe the claim of the state that um, I'm sorry, I know the sun's coming in here. I might be in a shadow a little bit, but, <laughs> but at least you can hear me. Um, so uh, they, they believe the claim that they're a citizen or that they are, you know, uh, subject to this public policy. So that's one of the things that I think is really big in understanding what's public and private. Like we have to understand public policy, listen to the words, research the words, the biggest education. We have to understand public policy. Give me a second, listen. Robert, I'm sorry. I've got uh, the um, YouTube thing is getting smashed. Is there any mods in, in the uh, YouTube chat that could help me uh, remove the uh, sex find pro guy? please <laughs> let's see uh i think Amazing. yeah flat smack biblical you've got you've got a wrench if you're able to just oh it's not even cooperating there we go yeah getting getting slammed not surprised sorry michael right in 33 uh, minutes that was interesting <laughs> ah there you go there you go so okay, please um, go on one of the most important things that I always tell people in terms of, of studying is, man, study the study the language, especially the legal language. Like, get yourself. You don't even need a law dictionary. You can just Google legal definition of, and FreeDictionary.com has a great way of laying out legal definitions because they give you multiple definitions from multiple uh, legal um, uh, dictionaries. Right. So public policy public but what does that say about your private life nothing the only way for you to actually get entangled into something public is by agreeing and contracting with it so stop contracting and agreeing well they oh well you know you have to fill this form out well wait a minute that's a claim who's making that claim well, the government's making the claim. Well, then maybe you should ask them, hey, I'd be glad to accept that claim as long as you can prove that that applies to me. Can you show me, can you certify that? 
most of the time, the government is never going to certify anything that will put them in a position of liability. So if you ask them to certify, is this mandatory or voluntary, and they refuse, well, I guess it's voluntary because if you refuse and you have a duty to answer and it's not mandatory, then it's voluntary, right? So again, these are basic concepts that really make it easier for people to understand this public-private thing. It's all about contract. If you and I have a private contract, that's our private business. We didn't invite any third parties in this. Now, those of us in the United States of America will see that and of course, you'll always hear me say the United States of America versus United States, um, two different jurisdictions. You'll notice that everybody always puts their contracts, you know, under the laws of the state of, under the laws of the state of. Well, I started clarifying in my contracts, you know, under the laws of just the state name, comma, a republic, Article 4, Section 4, guaranteed Republican form of government, right? That kind of state. So I clarify there. That's... If, if I'm going to put it under any state law, it's that one because you guys aren't functioning that way. So I just took the whole contract out of jurisdiction merely by putting that line in there. And the other contracting party, whether they know it or not, that's not my problem, right? Contract is buyer beware, if you will. Not that I'm selling anything, but in, even in my, my contracts of, of service or whatever it might be. So it's these little intricacies that make it really um, easy to see public and private. And again, the main thing is what are you agreeing to and with whom? And is it voluntary or mandatory? So definitions are so important because you can start to understand, oh, this is how they're speaking to me. And they're using this language to trick me into volunteering into their uh, law structure. Because I'm telling you, one of the key things here is that you cannot be forced into slavery. You cannot be forced into servitude. They did away with that on the entire planet. So now let's think about that for a second. If slavery has been abolished on the entire planet, how are we in, how do we feel like slaves and how are we enslaved? Because involuntary servitude has been abolished. But what are they not saying in that phrase? Voluntary servitude is perfectly legal ah. yeah i mean it's the it's the white on the page a lot of times when we read the law we're constantly reading the black read the white and what does that mean what's not written is fair game in the private if it's not in the black and white or it's not in the black it's in the white meaning it's not in that code it's fair game which is why they use the term person rather than a natural person or a man or a woman right because they want it to be broad enough to mean a legal entity or a juridic entity and a person natural a man or a woman is not a juridic entity but has legal capacity when they understand so if you look up the definition of idiot in the law dictionary i anybody that's watching watching this just type in legal definition of idiot you'll be surprised what you find <laughs> okay. Yeah, Some of the we talked about it. Let's do this legal definition. Yeah. Of idiot, and that was Some in my definitions even say a private man or a private person. Yeah, literally under the definition of idiot is a private person. We found that, and you may even find it in your search that you're doing right now. There might be because that's all we did was search and just read the first couple. We're like, look at this. 
Look at this legal description. A private person. It's one who doesn't understand. Well, I don't understand legal language. I'm an idiot in the law, which is exactly. great. That's what I want exactly. to be. Because so he, if you're an idiot, you don't have the legal capacity to contract. And if you can't contract, they have trouble trying to apply their law to you because you you can't contract, right? Um, So, yeah, it says an idiot refers to a person incapable of managing his or her person or affairs from birth. Okay, an idiot is is different from a lunatic. Uh, What's it say? A lunatic has lucid intervals and the idiot has no power of mind. The term lunatic has broadened to include all insane persons except idiots the following is an example of a case law defining the term idiot an idiot is a person who has been from birth and infancy deficient in mental capacity and destitute of the ordinary intellectual powers so yeah i mean again if 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 a court asks me do i understand and i say no and they go what don't you understand well everything what do you mean you don't you don't understand I don't understand. You're using a language I don't understand. There's a whole dictionary board. Well, you need an attorney. I don't understand what that is. You don't understand what an attorney is? I'm sorry. I, I appreciate you, all, but my understanding of attorney is one who atorns for someone. It, can they certify that they're not going to atorn for me? No, they can't do that. So I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I don't understand. What are you doing here? Right? It's that constant. And, and there was a YouTube somewhere of a guy could that you, went. Could you stop on the atorn and, and just uh, share what? what that actual me actually means. Well, again, look at your definitions. The legal definition of a torn means one who transfers their rights over to a new landlord. So it's, it's one, uh, let me back up. It's a, it's a, it's a person that transfers rights from a tenant to a new landlord. Okay. So when you have an, a knee, they're the middleman transferring the rights over. That's all they're doing under a new term, under a new contract, under a new lease. And it's so incredibly ironic, <laughs> if you will, when you start looking through that lens, like look at what this attorney is doing. They can't actually do anything for me, but negotiate new terms and conditions under a contract. That's all they're doing. And if you notice, like when people go and get an attorney, half the time, well, you know, you didn't get the whole pot, but you got some of the pot and you had to pay me for that. You know, we negotiated this deal. And in my experience going through criminal law, being arrested and things like that and seeing how it works from the inside, that's all these guys do is rub elbows and make deals. It's just contracting. So again, to understand that, that private side, we also need to understand and respect the public side. But again, where's the line? The line is, where does that apply to me? And as long as you certify where that applies to me, literally, you have to certify it. Okay, you have to swear to it as an officer of the organization you're coming from. Fine, let's work this out, right? But half the time they can't do that, you know, because what will they say? Well, it applies uh, a person or a citizen. Oh, hold on. I need you to clarify. That's ambiguous. What is a person? What is a citizen? I'll accept your claim. Please clarify that because it's ambiguous. Now, in contract law, ambiguity 
is a problem. So if I'm saying to them, this is ambiguous and I can't proceed until it's clear to me what exactly it is you're offering, then the contract is not made and it's pretty much null and void. And courts have ruled on that. When there's ambiguous language, the person who's offering the contract is at a lesser position than the one who's supposed to accept it or has accepted it because the language is ambiguous. So all the language is ambiguous, right? So again, these are little tiny things that honestly, I picked up a lot of it just from reading definitions. So when I look at someone's legal theory or I start reading something in a law book, I'll literally stop and go, what's this word? I think I know what it means, but let me look it up in the legal definition. And it takes a lot of time. I mean, you may read a paragraph. It might take you 30 minutes, right? Because you're picking it apart. But the thing with doing that and picking apart the definitions is you will come out with so much clarity by looking up every one of those words, because now you understand the root of what this thing is saying. When I first started reading statutes and codes, I was like, what? I can't even follow this. Like, what is this? Now I could read right through it. Oh yeah, that makes sense because I understand the language. Right. Remember right. that tongue, you know, that's what they're doing. Right. Right. Those so, are uh, some tips. <laughs> what's that? I said, those are some tips. for Some tips. You know, yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Private. Um, yeah. a, a, a comment just came up in the chat and, uh, Oh, Oh, this is the straw man guy. And I'm wondering if you're interested in uh, in in not defending yourself, but but differentiating between the, you know, the the straw man psyop that's that's out there and got everybody in in the rabbit hole and what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I don't like the straw man term. Um, it's well, it's a legal person. We do know for a fact we've gotten uh, responses from the Department of Vital Statistics that it's a trust, um, and it's an implied trust. That's the thing, right? So, what does implied trust mean? It means it's not written or oral, which would be an express trust. So, even those two terms, implied and express, everything mostly that the government is doing is implied when they bring a claim against you. Their entire claim, everything is implied. It's no different when you're born. This is the way I see it. I'm not saying this is the truth. This is what's going on. But the way I see it is, and we know this too, because we had um, one guy that I was talking to, they interviewed a government candidate for California and they asked him about birth certificates and stuff. And he said, well, it's funny you asked because I wanted to know the truth. So I went to the vital statistics and I got them to tell me what exactly happens. And they said, yes, when a child is born, we issue a bond. And this is very recent, like within the last year that this guy called for this information because he was running for governor. So they admitted to him clearly, yes, we issue a bond. So my legal research says, okay, great. Somebody comes in, mom gives baby over, gives, you know, property over. Someone comes in for that information, says, I'm going to pay you for it. Here's a bond. We also have evidence on the um, California receipts for ordering a birth certificate. When you order a birth certificate from California, they will send you a receipt. And on the receipt, it says banknote numbers and it lists the certificate numbers. Okay, so what's a banknote? It's a promise to pay. It's a debt note. I can negotiate that to someone else and pay them with that debt. And we have, we've already done this. So we know that's a fact. So what I do is I do these little litmus tests and I start putting things together and I start to realize 
what they're doing or what has been done can be considered an implied trust, meaning that property is being held there by someone for someone's benefit. But who are the players in that? Okay, so there's there's if, if there's an issue and you have to go to a court over this issue, let's say, let's say I brought up the issue of, well, wait a minute, this is my property. I believe it's my property. I'm going to file a lawsuit. If I went into court for that, most likely what the court would do is say, hold on, let's put the brakes on. We're talking about property, civil matter. This guy's saying he gave his mother gave property at birth that he has a right to. Um, and let's say they were willing to expose it, right? Let's say, well, you know, uh, this entity, whether it was us or the bank, came in and bonded it, paid money for it, gave you a valuable certificate consideration. So now we have a trust and a contract, whereas someone paid for this. So what the court would do, they would construct what's called a resulting trust, meaning since it's implied, we're not sure who's who here, but somebody's got interest, several people. So we're going to create that the court is going to create a trust to make sure that the right person gets the right benefit out of this particular property. There's two types of, of trust. There's a resulting trust and a constructive trust. And just look them up in the legal language. They're not trusts, okay? They're remedial devices, remedies. So when I look at the birth certificate and the straw man, I simply look at it as that's all implication. Everything is implied. So unless I put it all together and have facts to back it up, I don't have any facts to back it up and I can't show any proof, then it's just garbage at that point. And a lot of these guys don't have any of that from what I've seen. So I made it my mission to look for what are the proofs, what or at least the evidences. We've got the California thing, right, where they give us the receipt that says banknotes. We have uh, testimony from the governor, the guy that was running for governor. We have the post office writing back, putting trust at the end of the name when we change the address from vital statistics to our own address using our all cap name as a business. They wrote back and said, John Henry Doe, trust. We didn't say anything about trust. Why did they say that? Right. So we have these evidences. Now, what, what I do is put it into reality by creating a trust with that name. OK, so, yeah, there's a lot to it. It's not cut and dry. It's not easy. And it's not going to just be looked at by the government as, oh, yeah, we believe you. Why would they do that? Right. But see, that works to our advantage a lot, too, because if you question them and ask them to certify certain things that, you know, you have enough evidence to know that it exists. But what you need is them to admit it. To me, the best approach is get them to deny it, not admit it. Right. You want them to deny it. So the opposite stands. Well, if you deny that, um, let me see, if you deny that this person doesn't have interest, if you deny that no other person out there has interest in this, but you've given me a certificate, that is an interest, period. In its nature, it's interest. So I must be the only interest holder, not you, not the state, not the bank. Now I've just gotten you to clarify, I'm the only interest holder which means guess who gets the benefit, right? So again, it's knowing the principles of property, trusts, how, how property moves, what interest is, what rights are. Interest and rights are property themselves. They're intangible property. So this is how I think and put things together. 
I don't know what other straw men theorists do. Um, I don't even want to call myself a straw man theorist. I, I can't stand that term. Yeah. Um, is it a legal person? I'm going to say yes. Right now, I'll give you another piece of evidence to me. We have Social Security right here in the United States of America. We have Social Security. What is that? Well, it's a retirement plan, is it not? I mean, you get a retirement benefit. Under um, five U.S. Title Five United States Code 552A definitions, you will find the definition for federal personnel. Well, it clearly says in there, an individual that receives, and I'm paraphrasing, income or payments or deferred payments from any retirement program of the federal government, any retirement program. So what does that make you if you're holding something that is going to, uh, an account that's going to give you money from it? Are you federal personnel? Did you ever sign up? Well, then it can't be you. It's impossible. So these are the types of things that I put together and go, well, you know, this is 552A is records maintained on individuals. So if you're saying I'm an individual and these records are maintained on me in these records, your definition says federal personnel is anybody that received. That can't be me. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. That's how I think and put all this stuff together. I look for hardcore lines of evidence and not just theory. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it because it's uh, just a common misunderstanding people are experiencing. And <clears throat> so if we if we really flip into, say, visioning for humanity it, with the private domain, what do you see is possible as, you know, and it, like, first of all, do you want more and more people to recognize the private domain and move in and work in the private domain? And what do you see is possible for humanity in that? Well, to me, I see it as simply, you know, private domain simply means I'm not using anything as much as I can from the government, right? We know that's, we can't do it across the board because they've got the money system. They've got resources. So yes, I see it as people forming private communities, private societies. What, how does that happen? Very simple, private contract, private right to assembly. Okay. Not for doing business, but for congregating together. And then if that organization of people can somehow become solvent and start acquiring assets as a community, right? And the community figures out how they're going to distribute those assets or how each person benefits from those assets. That's the community's job is to discuss it, figure it out, put it together, agree to it, move forward, right? That's how I see it because what you're doing is you're, you're building a model that resembles theirs but doesn't quite function like theirs because it's more honorable. And in order to do that, to me, that's where trusts are very important because you can build an honor, an honorable model with a trust based system that can't be corrupted when people aren't reliant on money and status, because what are the two things that corrupt money and status? I mean, what do they use to bribe people, money, money and status? So if, if people who are managing your community can't be corrupted because they're, it's not based on money and status, but yet the community as a whole is acquiring assets and becomes solvent, you now have a rival community with the system. Can you define solvency, by the way? What that means? That's a big deal. I'm glad you asked that. Solvency means you don't have any money. 
well, so, sorry, the opposite. Solvency means you have real money. Insolvency means you don't have any money. Right. When people get lost. They say the United States is bankrupt. No, it's not bankrupt. It can't be bankrupt. Neither can any other sovereign. Because if you just go to Wikipedia and read about insolvency, you'll find that a sovereign cannot be bankrupt because bankruptcy is a process constructed by the government. So it's like a king saying, oh, I'm going to put myself through my own bankruptcy process that I use for my citizens. No, they can only be insolvent. Okay. Meaning, and if you read definitions of insolvency and bankruptcy, you'll find that a person can be bankrupt, but not insolvent. And they can be insolvent, but not bankrupt, right? Because bankruptcy is a process. So let's put that aside. If I'm insolvent, and I don't have any money to pay debts, which these countries don't. They don't have any money of their own. You look at insolvency and how does that function? Well, they monetize debt. That's how they pay their creditors. Who's the creditor? The national bank. Who owns the national bank? Private interests. Right? And this all ties back into your registration of birth and why they're giving consideration for that information so that they can pay their creditors in the insolvency proceedings because the entire function of the government is an insolvency proceeding. They can't function any other way. They don't have any money. They've given it all away to the bank and the bank has made them insolvent by charging them interest to print these nice little pretty notes that everybody uses that the bank owns, right? So when we're forming our communities, we want to, in my opinion, use mechanisms that are safe that, uh, from, let's say, taxation and things like that, that have certain tax benefits. Um, and then, in my opinion, it would be wise to turn that money into hard assets very quickly, which would be precious metals and land, right? That's another thing. We also know that you really can't own land, you know, because you're a tenant on the deed. If you read your deed, you're a tenant. So, to me, our objectives are to acquire land and then to start questioning and getting the other party, the state, to show its interest in that land that I've acquired and explain to me why I don't have full title if I have no loan. Where's my title or where's the deed with me as an owner rather than a tenant? And when they fail and they keep charging me taxes to go and sue them and say, no, I've got it right here. The claim's already done. They failed. It's over. And when they, if they come into court to defend it, go, not a problem. Just certify it. They're not going to do that because they're going to put themselves in a liability. So for me, build the community, make it solvent, gold, silver, land, assets, and then go from there, right? Because now you're playing with these guys in their system and you actually have something of value. And the law says, if I offer you something of value to tender a debt, a charge, a debt, whatever it is, and you refuse, and that's good tender, then you discharge because I've given you something to discharge with and you refused it. So the commercial law says, if we're doing business, which we all are with them, then they have to discharge. Easier said than done, of course, because you got to know your stuff and you got to know how to navigate this stuff through court systems and things like that. But those are the principles of how we can actually build something and rise above and create new systems that are outside of their system. Because ours is all private contract. It doesn't include them. 
You know, here in this country, the state cannot impair the obligation of a contract. So if we're all obligated in this contract to each other and we're not breaking the law, meaning we're not breaking the real law, which is do unto others and don't harm or injure. And, you know, we're not infringing on anybody else's property rights or their rights, which is property. Then we're not breaking the law. If you come at me with a statute, now we have a claim that you're making that I'm subject to that statute, which is public policy, which can't affect my private rights. Now we're under color of law. See, so again, it's knowing these principles and constantly recycling them in the things that you're working on, whatever it might be, you know. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's how I see building out these communities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. One of the huge revelations for me in the private domain was that we have the right to meet our, our needs. Mm -hmm. Right, without interference, without hindrance, as as right. private contracts. It's like, why is that a revelation? Because we're born in captivity. That's why. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I love uh, the private trust because you know that private trust is there to supply basic needs and things like that. You know, for its beneficiaries, or if it's a business trust, it's there to grow the corpus of the trust for the benefit of the beneficiaries. That. People don't realize, at least I, I don't know if they use them in, in Canada, but in the United States of America, business trusts are a known form of doing business. If you Google business trusts, I just found the other day there's a attorney firm in Florida that promotes, hey, don't be an LLC. Don't be a corporation. Be a business trust. Yeah, it's totally legal. The difference is they want you to register your business trust, which I mm -hmm. don't do. That's the one step I don't do. But the point is. They recognize that you can operate out of a business trust. You don't need a PMA. You don't need a, you know, at least here. I, I haven't looked in Canada yet, although I did pull up. Actually, I think I have it pulled up a list of um, different types of trusts in Canada. So I would have to go through that and kind of, you know, look and see um, what is comparable, what's, you know, close to the business trust. The bottom line is I'm not registering anything with these guys mm -hmm. because, if they come at me and say, well, you didn't register, I'll say, well, is it mandatory or voluntary? Please certify. And as soon as you certified and put your skin in the game, fine, I'll, I'll register it if you can prove X, Y, Z. And if you can't, well, then you've already agreed that there's no claim here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Just doing contract. And I'm not arguing with them. I'm not arguing with you. I just need you to clarify because I misunderstood. And nobody can fault you for your misunderstanding. I was told one time by an attorney, well, actually a friend whose attorney told her, always say, it's my understanding. It's my understanding. It's my understanding. Oh, we had a misunderstanding. Well, let me correct that. Right? I mean, they can't fault you for that. Again, what's an idiot do? He doesn't understand. There's also a misunderstanding, which means I was an idiot before. I didn't understand, <laughs> you know? So exactly, exactly. Uh, Matthew, Matthew, I did miss your question about idiots since we're still on that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can let's see, uh, can you follow the significance of utilizing a civil definition rather than a common law definition? That might not be the question. Oh, here, here's the idiot one. Okay. <laughs> um, Black's Law dictionary, uh, dictionary defines idiot. Uh, idiota, idiota, civil, unlearned, un, uh, illiterate, or civil person, a private man, not one in office. So, is that is that yeah, a private man, right? Right. Makes sense. You, you want to be an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Remember, when you're claiming this name, you're claiming an office, because at least from my research, when that thing says it's a federal person, 
a federal person's a fiction too. That could be an office. So I don't want to claim that office, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So. And then uh, is, is there some clarification around the significance of util- utilizing a civil definition rather than a common law definition? And I don't get the comment about Calvin, but. Uh, no, I don't know Calvin either, but um, mm-hmm. well, the common law, look, I don't, I first started studying this stuff in common law and the common law is simply not statutory for the most part, right? They've codified some st- common law stuff. Um, and common law was also denounced by the Pope right after the Knights held the sword to King James or um, King John's throat and said, sign this Magna Carta, which we all know is threatened arrest. So the Magna Carta is the only written common law. There is no other written common law. So it simply means the common law between men. And if we have to refer to something, we go to the Magna Carta. But then the Pope said, no, that's null and void because you did X, Y, Z under threatened arrest. So it's like, you know, to me, the civil law definition is what I want to use because that's what they're functioning in. I'm not telling them that's a definition that I have to believe in. I'm telling them that's the definition that you guys wrote. That's your language. It's got nothing to do with me other than the fact that seems to fit what's going on here. How do you guys want to define the terms? All you're doing in with definition is defining the terms of the agreement between the parties. So a lot of people think that this is just so evil and granted, okay, let's face it, it is for the most part. But if we start looking at it as a business transaction, things start making a lot of sense. These guys don't care about human lives. They just care about business. Mm -hmm. So you got to do business on business terms and catch them in the, in the business. Unfortunately, should we have to do that? No, but that's just the time frame that we're in, you know? Exactly. And and you're flipping it. And then you're not the one making the claim and having to prove it. You're asking them to, to prove their claims based on their definitions. So yeah, you don't worry about. And making a counter offer for a solution. So right. you're not dishonoring by saying, oh, I'm going to argue with you, rah, 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 which I have trouble with, too. Don't get me wrong, especially when you're in a court and your nerves are gone. We don't realize when talking to a judge, they're just constantly making offers. If that judge denies you something, they made you an offer. And if you go back and argue with them rather than say, "Okay, well, I'll accept that provided X, Y, Z, not a problem. Do, Do they certify that or do you certify your statement, you know, under penalty of perjury, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll come back with another one. Oh, if you know, I'm going to throw you in jail. Well, if you argue, you can't throw me in jail under the common law, but throw him in jail. You just accepted his offer because you argued with him and you denied his claim when, and he can prove his claim, right? That he has the authority in his courtroom, but you can't. So what you want to do is just counter offer, you know, well, not a problem. If you do that, I need you to certify that you're doing that under XYZ law and not under color of law. Can you certify that for me? okay, well, I accept that, you know, to my knowledge, to my understanding, this, that, and the other, and can you do this, that, and the third to certify that for me? Yeah. And they'll just go on and on until they realize there's no, there's no contracting with this guy other than to accept his offer. There you go. Yeah. Beautiful. It's constant, you know, offer, counter offer, offer, counter offer. And that's hard. It's really hard in, in the moment in the courtroom. I, I mm-hmm. trust me, it is. I failed at it many times. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I know that, you know, but when it's successful, you go, wow, man, did you just see like they just could not move? They couldn't do anything. 
So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exactly. Yesterday in the House of Free Will, I hosted a workshop with Dr. Bear Lando, and uh, it's it's how to do the inner game work. So then, when you get to that point, you don't go into confusion or you know way up the scale and into like anger or righteousness or all of those inner traps that we have. How to manage your own stuff and then have things go more easily your way because you can stay lucid in the process yeah. and in the moment. And yeah, it's hard. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm curious over the past, say couple of years, since you've been more actively teaching people in this way, in, although you've, you've, uh, been at this for, like you said, I think 12 years, what has changed for you over the course of that time where you've been learning and maybe watching people get certain results or not get results? Uh, I know that you've shifted from talking about PMAs to talking about UAs. I'd like to know, you know, what what do you see those, the differences between those two? Has there been stuff that's evolved and shifted? Sure. So I'm I'm always learning. And one of the things that really irritated me early on was watching um, people come out with all these processes and stuff that uh, it's like, okay, great. But what did you really get out of that? Where's your successes? Where's your, is this a solution or is this just a bandaid? Is this just me getting money from the government? Am I filling out another government form? Um, so a lot of it I learned is uh, number one, I don't, I don't want to play with government forms. Why would I want to do that? And then talk about being free from the government. Like that's just asking for authority. So that's one of the things that changed over the years is like, okay, stay away from that. It doesn't matter if you're going to get some money or you're going to get something from it because you can, it's possible people do it. So one of the things I've learned is how to really not allow my want for something physical to overtake my principles, right? Because I mean, let's face it. People want their debts discharged. People want to live free. They want to live outside money. So any little thing that comes across that promises them that they're going to do it and they may get it and that's fine. But to me, that's still giving into the system. It's not creating something new. So I learned to pull back and just say, I'm good. God's going to provide everything I need, whether it's through the, you know, cabal money system or whether it's through my own process or whatever. Um, And then So when I see somebody come out with the new, what they consider a new process, which honestly, none of it's new. I haven't seen anything new in in the 14 years I've been doing this recently in the last three years, I've seen nothing new. Um, And that stuff, if there is anything that seems new, I go through it and I go, oh boy, this is, this is crazy. But anyway, so I've learned to look at things for what they are. So if you go online, PMAs, right? PMAs became a hot button. Everybody's doing a PMA, right? But nobody understands what they are. Most people are doing PMAs to operate a business. That's bad, right? Um, Please tell us so, why that's bad. Yeah, I will. I'm going to get okay. into that. In a second. Okay. So, you know, and I started looking, I would research private member association and nothing would come up, right? I couldn't find anything. But when I went and I saw, what was it? I, okay, so I'll give you an example. We were in um kansas city and there was a symposium for health freedom for humanity i was speaking at it uh, i had my friend there jude who's a 25-year litigating attorney um this organization went and got uh rented uh did a contract to rent a room from the civic center in the middle of kansas city during COVID. right so what do they do oh your people aren't wearing masks gotta go Got to get out. Sorry, can't be in here. Right. And now they have thousands and thousands of dollars invested in this huge event. And it's only day one. 
kick them out. Fortunately, my friend Jude and I got on the phone and started typing up notices and stuff to the city attorney. We wound up saving the whole gig. But one of the things that brought to my attention was I read through their ordinance about the mass and COVID. And it said, except private clubs. Okay, so this masking stuff. But so I'm like, oh, man, private club. That's a That's a definition I haven't looked up. Let me look that up. When I looked up private club. It said unincorporated association. I was like, oh, yeah, duh. That's what these are. They're not. I mean, yes, they're private member associations. But if I want to research this from the legal perspective, so I know how these guys are viewing it, I want to research unincorporated association because that's what they call it. Private club, unincorporated association. And, and an unincorporated association could be many things, right? It could be a private club, a fraternity, the Masons, the bar association, whatever, right? So that's why I wanted to go to using the more definitive term in their world so they know when I'm talking to them, this is what we're dealing with here, right? So then, yeah, then I started seeing all of a sudden, right, this, this PMA craze. Everybody's doing a PMA and, oh, the government can't touch you. Soon as somebody says the government can't touch you, you better shut the video off and never go back to that video again, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes. Or if yeah. they say, if you do this, the government can't get rid of them because they have no idea what they're talking about. The government can do whatever they want, okay? And Let's they are. Those cards on the table. So what I saw was a bunch of, oh, the government can't because under this article and that one, but what I didn't see was, how many of these have you defended in court? Well, none. No. And then I started getting reports that the people that were setting these PMAs up for other people would run for the hills when the people got in trouble and had to face court or they just didn't know what to tell them. So they just didn't respond because they didn't know how to defend it. So I start looking at these situations and I'm like, OK, let me look at their PMA. What did they do wrong? Well, there's quite a few things they did wrong. You know, I'm like. They're, they're, they're doing this as a business. Like they literally took their LLC or S Corp or whatever they had, C Corp, and they turn around, kept the same name and everything, and then started doing business as a PMA. Why would you do that? You just draw, drew attention because this thing was registered and under the public eye. And now all of a sudden you're saying it's private. It's got the same name, same location, doing the same business. It hasn't done anything different. Mm -hmm. So the, the court will look at that and go, we don't care what you call yourself. You haven't done anything different. And what the way they determine that is they look at the operation. How is this organization operating? Number one, what did it do? A lot of these people didn't even dissolve the other corporate. They weren't, whoever set their PMAs up, didn't even have enough knowledge to say, look, you better dissolve that thing and retire from your, or, um, uh, what do you call it? Resign from your corporate position. Because if you resign from a corporate position, you don't have any authority anymore to answer for it. So not only is dissolution the right thing to do, but resignation should be done as well. Mm -hmm. And I've never heard an attorney or accountant tell anybody that in a dissolution. I figured that out on my own. Wait a minute. If I resign, they, they don't have nothing. They can't come to me. I'm not legally authorized to represent this organization. So a PMA turned into a business is a bad idea. A PMA or what I'll call a UA designed for the mutual purpose and benefit of the members, right? Where everybody agrees mutually 
and provide certain benefits, whether they charge money for it or not. But it's certain benefits that only members can get. And it has an exclusivity membership uh, agreement, meaning no, not everybody's welcome. <laughs> That's why it's a private membership. Not everybody's welcome. Mm -hmm. And it also has a, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, dispute resolution process. That's another problem I've seen. No dispute resolution process. Why is that important? Because if someone in your PMA gets a wild hair up their butt and doesn't like you anymore and decides they're going to drag you into court, a PMA, if you will, or an unincorporated association is not a legal entity. So the court can't attack it as an entity. It has to come after one of the members. Well, who's it going to go after? Well, the member that's orchestrating the whole thing. Okay. What I mean by that is even if that were to occur and you said, look, court, this is a private membership, you know, thank you for offering to handle this matter for Jane Doe over here. But in this private membership, Jane Doe agreed if she had an issue, she has to go through our private dispute resolution process. And that judge is going to go get this out of my courtroom and bring me back the result. Because the only thing that judge can do is enforce the result of the private dispute resolution. He or she cannot adjudicate that matter between the members. So that's an important clause. So I started seeing like I started reading these PMA documents. I'm like, man, these things are missing a lot of stuff. Right. And then the one thing that also occurred to me was a lot of these uh, PMAs that are set up, these people are saying, oh, well, you know, the trust, the trust, it's a, it's an ecclesiastic and it's a, it's a ministry. Well, wait a minute. Let's look at how the legal world is going to look at that. A ministry is a byproduct of a church. If you don't have a church first, you don't have a ministry. You can't just say you're a ministry and have no congregation, no regular sessions, no, no church. So that became an issue. I'm like, well, this clearly a court is going to look at and go, well, where's your ministry? Where, where's your church? How are you? What are you ministering? It's the, it doesn't matter if we have a right or you have a right to uh, private um, religion and all that stuff, but you're not showing us that you're an actual religious organization or a church. Mm -hmm. So I saw that as an issue. And then when they were saying trustees, trustees, I'm like, okay, well, that's good. I understand that a trustee can be someone entrusted, but doesn't mean there's a trust. OK, so I started saying, well, wouldn't it make sense? And I get that. And it's totally legit to say a trustee of, a, of an organization, of a private club, because they're holding the property for the rest of the club, essentially. But there's no express trust. There's nothing written out. So then I said, well, wouldn't it make sense then to just express a trust and have a valid trust where the PMA and the church or whatever, the UA is a beneficiary of that. And so to me, I started putting all these pieces in place and I was like, okay, this to me is solid. This is how I would operate. I don't care what John Doe on the internet is doing. I've done enough research to know this is solid, you know? And so that's how I look at these PMAs is, okay, where's the legal system going to poke holes in it? Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and then are you savvy enough with your PMA or UA to be able to defend it? And honestly, the simplest thing I found to defend that with provided, you know, you're not doing anything to harm or injure the public is okay. Well, that's fine. State, I accept your offer. Just, you know, please provide me certification of the statute that says the state has a right to intrude on my private club private property, private this, private that with its public statutes. Just certify that. 
-hmm. And that's how I've protected a few of them already. And the state went running for the hills. Oh, we're done. Nope, no, thank you. Because they don't, they can't. They don't have that, right? Or, I mean, they can't prove it. Can they force themselves on you? Sure, but they didn't. They just ran the other way and forfeited because mm -hmm. they didn't have a claim. Right. Yeah. And they they're not looking for more things to handle. It, it, you know, from my right. perspective, they're they're overrun. <clears throat> they're happy to say, oh, you guys are adults over there and you have a system of tribunals to arbitrate dis uh, disputes. Then they go, please go, go handle that. Good. Oh, good. That's off the docket for today. Or That's right. You guys have a nice day. Yeah. And yeah, that's only, yeah. Again, and that's if an internal member brings something. But when the state comes against you, yes, that's a whole different ballgame. So we go back to accepting their offer and then saying, yes, I will gladly process your claim. I say process your claim. That's the language I like to use. Thank you for your claim. I'll process your claim provided you do this, that and the other. And so I give them stuff that they can't do because they'll expose themselves or it's against public policy. <laughs> so and that's how you defend or how I would defend, you know, my my organization. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, very good. And so some people are also claiming that um, an unincorporated association is it actually is a trust. And is that is that a, a false belief in your opinion? Well, what property did you transfer to it? So it has to, it, it like a trust would have uh, inherently have property. It would be solvent, correct? Every single legal treatise and study on trust law says in order to have a trust, you must have property and parties. Did you transfer property to another party for them to hold for a benefit of a third party? Yes or no? No, then you don't have a trust. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so you, you might have a trust relationship, right? right? Right. An executor, are. Yeah, an executor could simultaneously be called a trustee, but they're not a trustee. They're just an executor. They're there to execute the will of someone else, but they don't they're not holding the property and title in their name. And remember, when when a trust holds property, the title has to be in the trust or the trustee's name. And, and there has to be that intention of giving that property over. And that has to be documented and expressed. I mean, it could be implied. It could take it could rise out of an implied situation as well. But I always say, well, what property did you give over? Did you give any? And who's holding it? Who's holding title to it? Well, nobody. Then no, you don't have a trust. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Excellent distinction. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Very basic. Uh, very basic. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's what we need. And um, so I'm come, become aware, like you said, there you can't have a ministry without a church. You don't have actually people and and uh, ministrations happening and, and that that real thing. And it comes down to, for me, comes down to relationships among members that they want to congregate. They want to be related. They want to support each other in, in faith and life. And so how do you approach cultivating relationships within your own private assembly? So basically, we ours, we have a community forum. We encourage people to talk within each other. I do weekly Q&As, um, and we will be starting up our weekly um, church uh, congregations, right, which is where people can come online. The way that the IRS here, and you can pull this off the IRS website, um, the way that they've outlined it in summary is that they look for, are you congregating and are you encouraging people to join your congregation? So are you congregating regularly, whatever that is, every month, every six months, once a year, you know, every week? And are you encouraging people to 
come and join your congregation? Are they making an effort to go somewhere to congregate, whether it's, you know, through Zoom every week? They're saying, yeah, I'm going to be there. Bam. I'm, you know, are they going to a, a building? Right. That's kind of what they look for. So I thought that was interesting. And I said, man, I mean, I'll be honest, we have definitely slacked in that once we lost uh, one of our founding members because he decided to do something else. I'm like, all right, well, we got to get back to that. And I'm so overloaded that I'm like, oh, man, you know, this is important. Um, but we have had a few this year. So we're just going to pick it right back up and say, yeah, we we do congregate. We get together every week on my Q&As. We get together every week uh, th to have meetings and stuff like that. And we encourage people to join. So we're still following along. We just have, I just want to do it in a much more uh, clean sense, if you will, right? It's like, it's obvious, like this is what we do. And we talk about spirituality and we talk about growth and things like that. So we're going to be getting uh, divinecreation.org going, uh, which is already there. It's been there, but we want to do our weekly um, kind of like a webinar, right? I don't even know what to call it yet. I don't, it's not a mass, right? I'm just going to call it our weekly congregation um, mm -hmm. and get mm -hmm. together and, and discuss spirituality from our perspective and tie it into the Bible because that's what we do. You know, we tie everything into the code, um, which is, in my opinion, the first contract is the Bible, right? So do we accept that contract? Yes, we do. Do they accept it? Yes, they do. Okay, great. Then we're both playing by the same rules here because we both agreed to the same contract. Now let's see who's actually following the contract and who's not. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what they do. Right. So um, to me, it's always important to tie everything into the Bible and it has nothing to do with religion. It just has mm -hmm. to do with contract. Exactly. Yeah. I landed on the word fellowship. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a minister. That's, that's not my role. I'm not going to claim that or you know that I'm ordained in that respect but I have things to share and teach and I can butcher a, a bible verse pretty good I, I did it at one of my past meetings and had people correct me which is great because I don't claim to be the expert in that respect but I can bring guests in that have more knowledge and spoke Jacqueline Milne did speak at the last fellowship meeting and and it's a beautiful humble thing that you know we're just we're just starting out I've uh, it's only been since June that I've been getting to know these people and there's, you know, a small, I won't keep calling it a sprout of a, of a ministry and the relationships building. Oh, there's, you know, that person again. And, and I heard what they said and it resonated with me. And, and then maybe I'm going to chat with them here and, Oh, look, two people actually went on and met in person, which was a beautiful thing because they're coming from all over the world and it's not always possible, but, uh, but yeah, that's to me, that actually is the heart and the soul of, of the ministry compared to, you know, it, it's not that different what I'm doing right now because I'm still offering courses and coaching and helping people to, you know, uh, find the value in their life and slay the demons and dragons. And so all of that is, is actually the same under the name now House of Free Will. But, but the fellowship element and the importance of the relationships that it's not just a you know, a click of a button and then you're in my living room. No, you have to apply. You have to answer some questions. I have to actually resonate and feel like, yeah, you're one of us. If I, if I say that, like you say, you know, we, we get to choose who we get to associate with and they, it has to be a right fit. Otherwise you're just going to cause, I'm, I'm going to cause trouble for myself and the rest of the members. So there's a lot yeah. of feeling of responsibility about the individuals and then, and then fostering relationships among them as well.
Yeah, and that work you're doing, everything that you just described, isn't that what churches do? Don't they help people, you know, in their lives and they're there to counsel them and things? Yeah, absolutely. So that makes perfect sense to me and does add up to congregation and exclusivity. And, you know, are you with us? Do you believe in what we believe? That kind of thing. So I think as long as those elements are there, you're pretty safe to say this is my religious belief and purpose. And there's no definition for that. You know, the IRS has tried to define it six ways from Sunday. They give you 14 points and all this stuff that they, you know, test you with. And it's like, but, but at the end of the day, they admit, well, we still can't define, you know, a church other than we look for you. Are you congregating? Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's not that hard to wrap your head around, but you do have to do the work. I mean, you have to do the work mm-hmm. you know, where you're exactly. just fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Oh, let's see what I have here to talk about. Um, so one of the things that's super important in relationships and, and in this context as well is is creating boundaries. And that's something that I've seen you, uh, Robert, as having really good skills in having boundaries that, you know, for example, talking about your, your work and uh, being able to keep things particularly private and discreet, knowing that it's, you know, you don't want to turn yourself into, it's not that you're hiding stuff, but you don't want to also turn yourself into a target for no good reason and set yourself back from your, from your purpose and your goals. So right. how would you recommend people have good boundaries in that PMA context and where, what, what would be the good boundaries to consider having? Yeah. So that, that's always tough for people that are doing these uh, unincorporated organizations. Right. I mean, we can cite some examples like the Masons as an extreme, like they got some good boundaries, right? They don't go out and talk about anything. So, but yet there's still people attracted to them. Now, granted, they've been established for several hundred, hundred years. So, um, the way I look at it is I offer generalities like, you know, you come to the house of Marcus, we offer you education. Well, education on what? Well, education on how to evolve yourself in this world, be it through business or, you know, through, um, spirituality or whatever we can help you with, you know, and, um, and, and we're constantly working on that and building that, you know, we offer, we have some document templates there. If you want to see how I write stuff or how the organization would handle things, you know, that type of thing. Well, what kind of documents? Well, that's kind of private. So I can't really talk about that. You know, well, what's in the documents? Well, that's private too. They're just templates. Well, what kind of that? Te- right. So again, it's just speaking in generalities and not getting drugged down the rabbit hole of somebody's questions. Private is private. Like I was on the phone with the juvenile department this morning and, um, you know, like all this stuff, you can read on our website, but when you click on it, you can't view it, you know, so you don't really know exactly what's being discussed there unless you're a member. You got to come in and be a member. So um, this morning I was talking to the juvenile department because my son got into something, you know, I'm like, here we go. And of course, the officer says, well, what's your address or where do you live? I said, well, that's private, sir. But I'll give you an address if you want an address to serve process to. Sure. But I'm but where I live is private. And the guy didn't say a word. He didn't like feel like I was combative or, you know, hiding anything. He was just, Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. What's the address. But that was it, you know? So again, certain information is private and you just have to know where to draw the line. Like that's something you have to practice for the most part in terms of boundaries of people pushing me for that stuff. You know, I set my boundaries real clear, like, Nope, sorry, don't do that to me. You know, mm-hmm. don't do that to me. I do not appreciate it. And if you don't like the way that I set my boundaries, then go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, is there, what do you think about mixing and matching? So um, one of the things that I, I um, set out to do, I'm just, I'm just trying to see how to frame this exactly for my situation that, that, um, you know, most of my work is taking place in the, in the private domain. For example, I still sell my book in, in the public. It's still on Amazon. You can still come and just buy to my website. There's no private contractor agreement there, except that I'm going to send you a book when you order it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but there's no, they're not part of my membership in the house of free will. So, uh, you know, but as the, the ministry is growing also it's it, because it's so small at this point compared to the, the size of say people in that consider themselves to be my audience or my followers or all of those weird words that I don't really like, but um, you know, so to, to be able to like, is there, is there a risk in being in, in offering things both in the private and the public at the same time? You think that that's um, a mistake? Well, uh, that really depends. I mean, again like what is your relationship with the revenue department right what's your relation have you signed documents have you agreed to pay them um because really yeah you could say well this i'm drawing capital and based off of well they could also say well your book is capital and your you know what money it's making is income right but then again can you define income and as you say income's taxable but you don't say who's uh, responsible to pay that right so again it really depends on your positioning on how you feel about it in my opinion I don't see any problem with it. Like when we offer stuff, I kind of think like, okay, well, you know, churches have bake sales, <laughs> you know, and they take in money and they sell things, right, to, to benefit the church. But see, this is also why um, I think the, the trusts are so important because you can, that property can belong to the trust. And, you know, then, they, so if they come after you for it, it's like, well, I don't own it, you know, I don't own the property. So, um, you know, um, so again, it's it's just the layers of protection. I don't see an issue with it as long as you're comfortable with warding off any, you know, would-be attackers. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I do think that people get really paranoid about that. I did have an example uh, explained to me by someone who's, do, who's done common law trust for many, many years. And they had a business that actually, uh, that they had a, a common law trust, which is a business trust, by the way. Um, they got a place in the mall, they leased a place in the mall and they sold their products, whatever they were. Right. So the state came after them for um, sales tax and they said, OK, well, here, let me respond to this and ask you to certify where you have authority. But blah, 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 blah. State went away. They stopped bothering them and the people kept right on going. Now, they were smart about it. They said, well, let's just keep sales tax in case we do have to pay something if they overcome us. And then we have. But that never happened. They just kept on going. Mm -hmm. So again, private trust selling to the public. Was it a problem? They even had a storefront, you know, was it a problem? No, because they were able to answer the correct way. And I think a lot of what we're worried about is taxes, right? When we're dealing with the public. Um, the other thing with that is, do you have a public storefront? And is that licensed or owned, I should say, by someone else? And registered right so that could be a problem because now the owner of the property can come to you and say look if you don't comply i got we're done with the lease you got to go so right that, okay. that would be where take I, me out yeah that where i would that would, would be where i would look more at the public private line with the ua and 
you know, set some boundaries there as to what I'm actually going to do. As far as the product coming out of you and being sold out there, again, I would move that into some sort of, excuse me, private organization, like a private trust, even, even the church offer it, you know, instead of say, yeah, it's a donation for a donation of, I'll gift you the book. And if it's on Amazon stuff, that's a little hard to do. I get that. Um, but again, the church can sell things to, to like there was a, uh, a church in New Mexico. They it was a bunch of monks and they sold beer. That's how they they created beer and they sold beer. And that's how they got the money to, to keep doing what they were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was sold to the public. You know, so again, it's possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting about the beer, maybe trying to keep the testosterone down. I know that has uh, <laughs> yeah, effect on it. I don't know about that. It might might ignite it. <laughs> some more. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, this has been amazing, uh, Michael. I don't know if uh, Robert. Pardon me. It's so funny. I, I just use your two first names. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they seem to be interchangeable. You talked. You talked plenty about trust, and that was one of my big questions. So. You know, at, at what point do you do you consider it, it sounds like when when you've got something to protect when you've got property and and uh, you don't want it to like because when they come after your PMA, they're not they can't they can't actually address the, the association because it doesn't exist in the legal world. But they can come after if if you don't know who you are, they can come after, say, a founder or a trustee. And then. um yeah, so it, it really does seem to come down to the fact that if you can't stand for these things, if you don't really understand them, the the faking it till you make it might have some kind of dire uh, outcomes that you don't expect that you will learn from. It might change yeah. your ways. Yeah, yeah. If I could offer a little more too, like complexity is protection. So you know, look at what these guys do. You, you know, you you might go out there and look at. Um, M&M or, you know, some other company, but you don't realize who owns them and who owns that and who owns them and who, and the layers keep piling and you can never find the true owner. We're doing the same thing. We have the right to do the same exact thing. So we layer with unincorporated association, church, trust. We might even have an LLC or corporation that is created by the trust, or we might have an LLC or corporation doing the front end business and the trust owns the property and leases it to the the llc so therefore if the llc gets attacked they can't take the property because it's owned by the trust all right so you can shut the llc down you can sue it and everything and it has no money but the trust is the one doing it all so the complexity i think what i'm noticing too is none of well not none of us very few of us were raised or brought up or learned business and how to actually do even in the statutory world right how does a business get set up what incorporates it now in this country you have articles of incorporation and then you have bylaws okay well if you look at every organization including a church including a ua there is some sort of foundational document which would be like your articles of incorporation then there's some sort of functioning document which would be like your bylaws right so if yes there's subtle differences that make the organization what it is but the overall construction is relatively the same. And they all have regular meetings, special meetings. They meet regularly. They do business, right? So I think when I'm looking, I didn't know this either. I had to learn business completely. I've never been to business school, knew anything about business. But from my life experience and having a business and watching attorneys and accountants run it for me and not tell me anything, 
all these years later, I'm like, oh, thank God I went through that experience because now I understand what they were doing and charging me for and not telling me, which I could have done all along because it's not hard. It's really actually pretty simple. So just that alone, like, you know, try to look at how the system does build things because it's a mirror. And when we learn how to operate, it takes the mystique and the fear out of it because there's no more unknown, right? Everybody's afraid of the unknown. That's a natural fear. So the more we know about how these things operate on both sides of the fence, obviously the less fear we have. And I've found that looking at the statutory realm as a mirror for the private realm with a few small tweaks is exactly what, what's going on. So it's helped me overcome the fear. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And uh, one of the things that I learned, and I'm curious if you agree with it, that paperwork in the public is is the deal like that, that that is the thing, whereas paperwork in the private is more of a receipt. And and the real deal is the actual goings on the, the activities, the the real things that real people are doing. Would you agree? Yeah, with that? the operation. Yeah, operation. Yep. And, and the paperwork in the private is between private people and private contract. It's not registered with the state. It's not open for public viewing, mm -hmm. uh, which is like, you know, like here in the United States of America, they have, um, you know, every state has a statute about a trust certification, almost every state. And even states that don't, they still accept a, a certification of trust, meaning it's an affidavit that has certain um certain bullet points in it that the, that any bank any state anyone or any uh, state agency has to accept as the trust exists but i can't see the trust and because i have this abstract i have to accept that that trust exists that's pretty powerful because they're telling you like yeah trust can stay private even if it's a living revocable trust or some sort of statutory creation it still remains private and they, all they get is a certificate now, whether I register that with them or not, to me, makes all the difference. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't have to register it. I just got to give you a certificate to show you it exists. Right. Right. Very good. Yeah. I love I love how you use the word certify. Like, could you mm -hmm. please certify what you just said? That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge so because in order to, uh, you know, have a real claim, it's it's got to be certified. Somebody has to swear to it. Somebody has to swear this is a real claim. Mm-hmm. If not, it's just complete fiction and there's no fact and there's nobody doing anything. It's just all ghosts, right? So got to certify and they won't do that <laughs> in most cases, you know, not that um, they can't do it. I don't know. But to me, I try to think of things that if they certified, they put themselves in a position of liability so they won't do it. Got it. There you go. Um, Matthew Miller has a question uh, if a PMA or UA that we're talking about establishes an LLC, which relies upon the legal framework of a state for limited liability, why would the LLC not be liable to per, for taxes in that case? Well, an LLC is a statutory creation. So a UA is not going to be able to create a LLC because it's a UA. Um, it's, a, it's an unincorporated organization and it needs legal entities. So what they would do is they go, well, who was responsible for creating this out of your UA? And when three, four people raise their hand, they go, okay, well, instead of you claiming the UA created it to us and what we look at, the UA didn't create it. You guys created it. So we'll divvy out the percentages if you guys aren't going to do that. And an LLC is a taxable entity. So we're going to collect our taxes from it because, I mean, you have to register the LLC. 
Right? Mm-hmm. It's like the attorney firm I found in Florida. They were like, why do an LLC? Why do a corporation? Use a business trust. There's tax advantages and protection and limited liability in a business trust. And mm-hmm. what most people don't understand about LLCs and uh, corporations and stuff, if you're the sole LLC uh, member or you're the sole uh, or the, the majority shareholder or the sole shareholder of your corporation, then you really do have all the financial liability and everything because you're the only one in it. There's nobody else with any ownership responsibility. So all these attorneys and, and accounts that are setting people up with a single member LLC and this will protect you. Yeah, it, it might have some protections, but not as much as if you had four or five members in that LLC, because now they can't come to you because the financial responsibility and the asset responsibility is divided up between the five of you, not just you. So that's a little piece to keep in mind, too, about LLCs and corporations. Okay, and other very good. Very good. Thank you very much. And uh, is there anything else that you would like to share? Oh, I just lost my connection there. Um, just that, you know, I think everybody right now in this time and, and you know, it's getting desperate and things are going to happen is just keep focused on securing yourself and also working with people who don't just have their own self-interest in mind. Like this is a bigger thing. We're trying to build this out because what they've done is they've destroyed the trust between us all. So when we set up a trust and we need trustees that aren't us, we go, well, who am I going to pick? I don't, I don't have anybody. That's been the main problem over the years with me helping people draft trusts is they don't have players in the game. So the last thing I'd like to add is yes, start getting with people that you can trust that are interested in this stuff that want to build something out with you and start utilizing each other to build out organizations and layer them and figure out what your schedule of operations is going to be. Because that layer of protection, if they run to one entity that holds property or or they think is holding property and they try to attack it, you go, oh, entity doesn't hold the property. Well, they're suing the wrong property uh, entity, right? Then they're going to have to try to find how the liability got over to that one, which they usually have trouble doing. Complexity and layering is your, that's your protection, really. Mm-hmm. Very good. And, and player, right? Because if you're running everything, they're going to go, well, these are just alter egos. It's all you. So you need people to help you, you know, administrate or set up and administrate. Now, I always say, look, it's it's like a corporation. Sometimes a corporation starts off with one person, but then that guy takes his shares and divvies them out. So other people have them. And now it's okay. Now it's broad. So it's okay to start off that way. But to me, I want to keep in mind constantly diversifying the liability positions, the uh, management positions, all that at the ownership positions so that it's more protected. Mm-hmm. That's it. I think that's enough for today. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that, that's been a lot, and I appreciate so much because I know you're not coming on as often anymore. To uh, you're not you're not interested in being the rock star, <clears throat> which is so good because that's uh, that that'll set you back, and people won't really get what they need from you, and you'll waste a lot of time with people that are just you know looking for a guru to follow, and that's definitely not what you're up to. So appreciate that very much. Thank yeah. you so and much for coming you. on. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because people also do, it's not only that, but they'll also try to milk you for your information rather than join in what you're doing and appreciate and respect the fact that your information is valuable. And yes, you should be paid for it because I'm giving you the shortcut, right? So we also have a lot of people that try to just 
milk for information because they believe they shouldn't have to pay for it. Well, you're not paying me for information. What you're paying me for is the boiled down version. So you don't have to spend the 14 years researching it. I think that's valuable. (laughs) Exactly. And that's how we build on the work of each other. And because no, no one person is ever going to be able to go through all of these doors. Mm -hmm. So we can, we hire ourselves. Okay. Well, I've done a lot of work in this area. And therefore, I am a resource to save people, the, you know, something they couldn't do on their own period or they couldn't do it fast enough because you, right. maybe you, eventually you can do everything for yourself. But then like your life is gone and you only handled one thing. So this is this is where getting together and that whole narrative of uniting, which is actually a very wrong narrative, but to unite with our people right in, in our living rooms where we're genuinely actually related to each other and can help right. each other. Yeah. And, you know, again, I've paid a lot of people for their knowledge and their information that I could have found in the books, but it would have took me years. So I am very respectful of people's time and, you know, would offer them money. Um, So what I guess what my point was with all that is, yes, I don't want to do a whole lot of interviews because people see me as like, oh, this guy's got the answers. He's a savior, which I don't and I'm not. And then they want to bombard me and try to get my time for free. And it's like, no, I just, I don't, I can't do that. Like, that's my boundary. Sorry, I don't do that. Yeah, but that's why we have a membership, because I'm trying to put this information continually in the membership and build it out. Because when you become a member, it's all there. You just go there. Now, some mm-hmm. of the stuff we, you know, ask for a donation so that we can build our community pot and, you know, expand and get assets for the community and all that stuff. But most of the stuff is become a member and you have access to it. That's mm-hmm. part of being a member. That's a member benefit. So, mm-hmm. no, I was just going to add the Bible says a man is worth his hire. Mm-hmm. Right. So, for, you know, anyone out there that thinks that doing this is a, a path of uh, poverty or a poverty vow of some kind or that you can't charge for the work that you're doing, however you frame that in donations or stipends or tuitions or whatever it is, then, you know, that, that's, a, that's a wrong, that's a wrong thought. We actually need our PMAs to be. Um, abundant and full of life to give, right? Because it's not just about hoarding and keeping everything for ourselves. It's about being truly of service. To me, that's that's the foundation of why I did this in the first place. Right. And if you're not someone that's going to contribute into building the benefits for the members, then rightfully so, you should be donating or paying for them, right? Because that's what you guys do to keep this going is build that PMA for the members. So yeah, I think people have to get out of that lack mentality and that I'm poor and I can't afford it. I mean, we've given plenty of free memberships too, you know, we have, but I don't like advertising that because everybody takes advantage of it. So it's on very limited, um, you know, situations that we'll do that, but we will do it because it's not about the money and it's about people's heart. Where's your heart? And, you know, we're pretty intuitive and, you know, we've got some extra sensory abilities so we can kind of pick up on people right through the emails, right through the phone, you know, and we can pick up whether they're genuine or not most Mm -hmm. of the time. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's excellent. Yeah. You become a really good reader of people because you have to be, you're, you're taking responsibility for them to be part of a membership and it's going to influence everybody and the workings of of you and the way your time is spent. So yeah, absolutely agree with everything that you're saying. Thank you so much for sharing all of your, your tidbits with us. That's our, uh, they're, they're, they're big. They're not, they're not actually little tidbits at all and a really good foundation 
good to hear from someone who has so much experience. So thank, well, thank you. you. Thank you for having me on. And thank you everybody for hanging in there with us for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they loved it. So yeah, lots of uh, good comments in the, in the chat. And uh, so definitely let me know what's happening and uh, keep me, keep me posted. And will, maybe we'll sure. get you and Jacqueline Mill together one day as well. Yeah, that'd be fun. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. All awesome. right, Michael. Okay. Thank you, Beth. Okay, you're very welcome. Take care. Bye. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Okay.